Back in 2016, 29-year-old Obi-Wan Niokeke, a Nigerian entrepreneur popularly known as Invictus, graced the cover of Forbes Africa as one of the 30 under 30 Africa's most promising entrepreneurs. Fast forward four years and he's cooling his heels in an American jail, having pleaded guilty to cyber fraud worth $11 million. Ramon Igbalode Abbas, also known as Hush Poppy, has also made a similar journey to an American jail after being arrested by the police in Dubai and extradited to the States, where he will also face charges of cyber fraud. His own criminal haul is estimated to be worth over $400 million. Hush Poppy's lifestyle consisted of hobnobbing with Nigerian celebrities and big-time politicians a huge social media following of 2.3 million people and an affluent and flamboyant lifestyle which he was not shy of flaunting. Invictus, Hush Puppy and their cohorts are just two of a few young Nigerians who are either facing charges of fraud in Nigeria and abroad or are serving jail time for cyber fraud. This type of crime is so popular and is sadly seen as a viable way of earning a living that is celebrated in popular culture with songs and movies. How did we get here? Are the value systems in Nigeria so decayed that the popularity of MAGA is inevitable? Or is there a link between the rampant corruption among our political class and the readiness of young Nigerians to engage in fraud? Hello and welcome to NOW, our daily general news podcast which examines the significant stories in and about Nigeria. UK-based Nigerian social commentator Kayode Ogundamisi says Hush Puppy will be in good company among some Nigerians. You can't put a difference between Hush Puppy, the political class, the policeman who is collecting bribe on the street, the custom officer who will take money from you before you clear your goods, the journalist who receives bound envelope, the social media influencer, who would promote a corrupt person on social media just to uh, achieve his own personal gain. So they, 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 it's all the same. Actor, comedian, social media influencer Kunle Do, whose alter ego is Frank Donga, tells us what Frank Donga would do if he was roped into cyber fraud. <laughs> Frank Donga will not take him like you. He will bust them. He will even bust them in a way that he will not know he's busting them. Frank Donga is not a crook. Frank is going to back out from any opportunity of fraud and is going to report it appropriately. Respected Nigerian novelist, journalist and essayist Adobe Trishia Mubani says the reasons people commit internet fraud have not changed. So the conditions that led the people scamming in the 90s, in the 2000s, are still with us today, just like armed robbery. So we still have people who have the inclination. We still have people who find the opportunities. We still have people who have the know-how or the boldness, whatever it takes to do, commit this crime. To listen to stories about financial crimes as reported by the global media, one will be forgiven for thinking Nigeria is at the forefront of this crime. The good news is that this is far from correct. The country accounts for only 6% of these crimes. The most recent data available shows 61% of internet criminals have been traced to locations in the United States, while 16% were traced to the United Kingdom and only 6% to Nigeria. An investigative journalist with Premium Times, one of Nigeria's leading online news platform, Samuel Ogundikbe, blames the rise in cyber crimes and fraudulent activities by the youth 
on poverty, unemployment and corruption of government officials who siphon public funds meant for the development of the nation. He analyzes recent cases of fraud perpetrated by Nigerians. After the initial report of their arrest, generally people don't bother to know follow up on the cases. So what I have tried to do is to get um, access to U.S. court documents, um, uh, updates. Um, they have a robust electronic uh, uh, database of all uh, cases and you know frequently updated. And so what I just do basically is to continue to. Uh, check or follow up or audit, you know, from time to time. So uh, that is exactly what uh, I did with uh, the case of uh, Obi Wan Obi, uh, you know, popularly known. I just tend to follow up, talk to people that are even in law enforcement in the United States, you know, approach the prosecutors, ask them what they have, you know, in Nigeria that they are holding, and see how strong the case will be. That way, I am able to predict the outcome of the case. Um, for example, the one that was taken, we were able to tell that he was likely facing a total number of years in prison. And now that he has uh, pledged it, uh, we also uh, have been following up on the fact that he has pledged it to the case, to the charges. And now he's now going ahead to start the uh, sentence in October. I mean, the case of Amon Amal, widely um, known as Hush Puppy, his own is also similar to what uh, picked up in Dubai and then sent to the United States. So I have been able to get a hold of the follow up, which is to get. So where is, where is it now? What are they trying to do? And that was what I reported yesterday. And we have hired a lawyer in Chicago, a criminal defense attorney in Chicago. Um, trying to see whether it is a secure building or something, but basically uh, it may not be able to get anything because they have not been the free, has not been taken. So until the sent, but there is a process now underway for him to be sent to Los Angeles because when he was uh, extradited from Dubai, he was sent to Chicago, which is uh, in the Midwest of the United States. So he's going to be sent all the way to the West Coast, Los Angeles, where his trial would uh, commence because the outstanding warrant of arrest that was issued against him was issued by a cop in Los Angeles, in California. Okay, from your experience as a writer, do you see any similarities between Hush Poppy and his likes and government officials who have been accused of um, fraud? Well, that's, that's actually quite uh, an interesting one, you know, because, I mean, as you must have noticed in the media recently, following uh, Hush Poppy's arrest, the APC and PDP, um, Martin against one another, you know, over whether Hush Puppy is uh, associated with uh, one of them or, you know, all of them put together and all that. But basically, you could tell that I don't see, because when Hush Puppy um, steals, you know, he's stealing from victims, you know, they're depriving people of their livelihood and, uh, you know, sending many people to commit suicide and all that. So it is really, really egregious in the, 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 the consequences, you know, of his action, you know, as just untold. But that's not, that's not uh, in any way uh, places uh, Nigerian, uh, that, that does not place Nigerian uh, politicians, you know, in any way above us in terms of uh, moral fortitude. You know, it is, it is still uh, essentially the uh, same, if not even worse, for Nigerian politicians. Because when they, when politicians lose money, you know, that is meant for 
a hospital, as you have always reported, hospital of, uh, you know, they, 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 some, people might, some people might die out of that. When they, when they lose money that belongs, that should have been used to build a school of uh, voter uh, education infrastructure, they destroy livelihood and people's future. So in a way, you know, it's even worse what our politicians do when they steal money. So the best way is for the politicians to stop stealing so that they can be, uh, you know, they can be able to caution people not to go into fraud. They can be able to caution citizens not to go into fraud as, as a way of life, you know, give the lessons that people, if they can even strengthen the lessons that the hospitals uh, are due, you know, have been teaching Nigeria and that, and they can strengthen it by coming out to also um, take their own. But the problem is people are going to address that. Are you also a thief? Are you also a cook? You know, so that is not a good situation that we are in. You know, we find ourselves at all at all. So how do we begin to change this narrative of, you know, get rich or die while trying, especially for the youths? Well, it's best to start from the leaders. I mean, you know, because you will have to look at the lives of the youth. Do they have the life, alternative life, that they could have lived in order than going into fraud? We will have to consider the chances. We have to consider the chances. When they see that they have no better way, of any of the two living in order than to go into court or become a truth one way or the other. That is then they will, con they will, they will just have to, you know, even though there is no justification for fraud or criminality whatsoever, nonetheless, that is what we are, we are preaching. But will people be able to listen when they are hungry? You know, it's another thing entirely. So basically, politicians are supposed to try their best to ensure that Nigeria is put in better shape. You know, and so on, so that we can be our body can 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 be better, and then people will be able to have a good uh, living condition. You know, and then stay away from from fraud. So that is what what I how I see this thing. You know, it, it, that we should we should change the culture of corruption in our country. Make sure that there is some uh, consequences. There's a consequence. Serious one, harsh one, of being uh, uh, entrusted with public funds and then. Uh, stealing the same. You know, it's not good at all for us. So when you are trusted with uh, a public office, you are supposed to make sure that you don't abuse that office and you don't uh, become a bandit, you know, so to speak, being in that office. That way, with our living conditions can improve and also the, the people going into uh, internet fraud or other vices, you know, at least they will be able to and they will reduce the number will the number will reduce and gradually gradually we might be able to just eliminate the family. Social media is undoubtedly a global tool that is used to propagate the good, the bad and ugly, depending on the user. UK based Nigerian commentator Kayodi Ogundamisi tells Bumiyakini that there has been a huge number of Nigerians that have been prosecuted outside Nigeria, but the reason why the likes of Hush Puppy make the news is because they had flaunted their stolen wealth on social media. If we look at the statistics, there's been a lot of, uh, a huge number of Nigerians, you know, in you, that have been prosecuted uh, in the U.S., uh, for uh, cyber crime and the money laundry. The only reason that of Hush Puppy uh, and the other guys probably is because they've been pretty flamboyant where they've displayed this uh, stolen 
alleged ill-got wealth online using social media. Uh, but I think what we should find worrying is the increasing trend among young people. The influence they have on young people uh, that crime pays, and once you are able to defraud others, then you've arrived in the society. Okay, we hear again that um, the Nigerian government is asking Osh Poppy to come to Nigeria to face prosecution. Will that be a nice move? I think the Nigerian government has enough on this case. Uh, currently, the anti-corruption star in Nigeria is, uh, is being investigated on corruption charges. I think it's time we just face the ones we can handle. Osh Poppy and the other alleged criminals are in good hands. They will get the best of justice in the U.S. And it doesn't mean if they finish serving their jail time in, in the U.S., they can't be prosecuted either in absentia or if they're released, they should be able to come back and face prosecution. So I think it's, it's basically, you would ask yourself what were the uh, anti-corruption agencies in Nigeria looking when these guys have over the years planted their wealth on social media, they come in outside of the country, they use um, uh, private jets. You see celebrity artists uh, going about in private jets. You ask yourself how the anti-crime agency lost it and missed uh, the fact that they need to clamp down on uh, uh, what I call celebrity corruption nations. Uh, so what they've done is that they have romanticized corruption and this has a huge effect on the image of Nigeria and also uh, a negative influence on the on young people. So Nigeria should simply just uh, there are hundreds of osh puppies in Nigeria that Nigerian government and anti corruption agencies can focus on rather than distracting by request for the extradition of uh puppies because we all know there is more likelihood for osh puppies to work free in Nigeria than it would in, in, in the United States of America. Some potters are saying there is no difference between Osh Poppy and a political class who are using pen and paper to steal money from government coffers. What's your take? It's all the same. It's all corruption. Uh, they, you can't put a difference between Osh Poppy, the political class, the policeman who is collecting bribe on the street. The custom officer who will take money from you before you clear your goods. The journalist who receives bound envelope. The social media influencer who would promote a corrupt person on social media just to uh, achieve his own personal gain. So the, 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 it's all the same. As a society, we are determined to uh, stop corrupt practices. We'll be the better for it. Uh, people import goods from outside the country and they import uh, expired goods and they relabel it, and killing hundreds and thousands of people. All these are corrupt practices and it's difficult to say one is different from the other. They are all the same. They all have huge impact on our society. Okay, so with all of this money laundry, cyber fraud going on and you live abroad, how easy is it for a Nigeria to do business abroad, considering the image? In, in all honesty, I think it's been very difficult for a very long time as a Nigerian to do business outside the country. Uh, but I think that has improved uh, in a while. I think with the uh, people are actually becoming uh, more enlightened to know that not all Nigerians are corrupt. And the minority uh, do not represent majority of hardworking Nigerians who do legitimate business. Uh, uh, there are also, you can't deny the fact that the 
the one corrupt Nigerian caught outside the country would have huge impact uh, on how we are perceived as a people. I am aware that you cannot uh, uh, order some goods in Nigeria with certain credit cards. Once they know it, once they trace your IP address to Nigeria, then they just um, deny you conducting a legitimate business. So it has huge impact. But on the other side, there are there are millions of Nigerians from across the country who work in different fields in medicine, uh, in aeronautics, engineering, and, and working Nigerians who, who work in the field of journalism, and people recognize them for who they are in the arts and uh, in music, entertainment. So uh, as we have those people trying to bring the name of Nigeria down, you have people, Nigerian artists on, on, on Netflix, you know, producing new, new movies, and artists uh, shining out... Uh, Award-winning records, you know, promoting the image of the, of, of the country uh, positively. What can be done to rewrite the narrative and let our youth know that there is still dignity in labor? The first thing is that we need to enforce our laws. There is no absence of law against stealing and corruption. We have those laws, but people turn the blind eyes. People who are in areas of responsibility. Once our young people know that you will be sanctioned, uh, if they see politicians going to jail, public officials going to jail for stealing, if they see speedy uh, dispensation of justice in cases where people are found to, uh, to have stolen from, from our commonwealth, they would adjust. You have people, you have governors who are on trial for corrupt practices for some as much as uh, 10, 15 years, and the case is still ongoing. Uh, you have people who just literally get away with murder because uh, when young people see that um, the older generations who are given uh, uh, responsibilities are getting away, they would also think this is the right way to do things. So once we start enforcing our laws, we strengthen our anti-corruption legislation. I think uh, things would uh, change for the better. And the way we uh, we provide opportunities for our young people uh, creates opportunities for them not just to be employees but employers of labor, uh, for them to be able to, to expand their creativity. Once they're able to, to do that, uh, uh, the overbeating the over, the over saying, the, the, the I do mind, mine is uh, the devil's workshop you know it creates more opportunities for young people they tend to shy away from uh, from corrupt practices kuleidu popularly known as his job-seeking on-screen character frank donga is a journalist actor and comedian he tells Tommy Olugbemi how young people can defeat the get-rich-or-die-trying mentality well it's a complicated problem but i think one um lasting solution will be for young people to have, first of all, good examples, good role models in the society, and that starts from the home front and the religious institutions, and finally the um, society or political um, sphere. Because we have to understand the problem to be able to solve it. The problem of uh, fraud or internet fraud or cybercrime and similar vices uh, are not unique to Nigeria or Africa. But the challenge of curbing it, of stemming it, of discouraging young people, uh, making it less attractive, is being, uh, that effort is being um, uh, generally slowed down or destroyed because these young people feel they have an excuse in, polit in the political class when it comes to corruption on a national level. So 
generally, if you look at comments from um, fraud apologists, I will call them online, they are quick to take examples from the political class and corrupt politicians by saying, well, if the political class does this, why can't we? And there's another category of those who say uh, the fraudsters are only repatriating funds that have been looted from Africans by Colena Master. So a quick fix would be, first of all, to make sure we have good, strong institutions that arrest uh, corruption or corrupt officials in governance. That would serve as a good example. They will know that there's no way forward in this kind of lifestyle. And then two, to reward positive living or uh, youth that are doing well, you are hiding, and also to create employment. It's a multifaceted solution. It's just not one button fixed. Uh, one button we have to press the fix off. It's a multifaceted solution. It's a, it's a cumulative active, uh, action that we need to take against fraud and uh, cybercrime in Nigeria, and all hands must be on deck. Like you said, there are lots of fraud apologists online who keep saying, oh, these people are going into these things because um, they have no job. So how exactly could we fix unemployment? A simple way to fix unemployment would be to create job opportunities. By creating job opportunities, I mean to enable small businesses to thrive. One, make it easy for small businesses to start, starting from registration at the CAC. Two, make loan facilities available in, on a merit basis, not because you are affiliated to a politician or a political party. Three, enough funds to either insure these businesses or to invest in them or loans from banks. How do you make those loans available? By making sure there's enough money in circulation. How do you ensure that? By stemming excessive spending on the political class or the governing class or the ruling class. I still believe there's far too much money being spent on governance in Nigeria. You cut down that funding on necessary innovations, on necessary constructions, on necessary uh, remunerations to politicians, huge cars, fancy cars, expensive living, cut all that down, then we have enough funds to actually focus on what matters. So that would be a short-term solution. In the long term, we have to make sure we develop industries in Nigeria. Industrialization is not a joke. It's not something we develop overnight. Agriculture is the highest employer by statistics in Nigeria. A lot of people can be encouraged to go into agriculture if we put the right people in the right places. But beyond that, we need to be sincere in the way we approach uh, some of the solutions. Nigeria has very brilliant people. Some of them are very brilliant in government, and they come up with fantastic ideas. Unfortunately, it stops at ideas most of the time. We need to be able to move from the realm of ideas to actualization. It looks like there are so many stumbling blocks. And at the end of the day, if you search what those stumbling blocks are, at the root of it is selfishness, greed, and corruption. What would Frank Dongard do in a situation where he was seeking employment and he finds out that they are trying to rope him into advanced fee fraud. <laughs> what would Frank Zenga do yeah. if he discovers he went for a job interview or he gets a job? In the process of trying to do the job, he discovers that it's Yahweh people. Frank Zenga will not take him like you. He will bust them. He will even bust them in a way that he will not know he's busting them. Frank Zenga is not a crook. He's unemployed. He's a victim of poor educational system poor economic and uh, leadership system in Africa. Frank is not a crook. Frank is going to back out from any opportunity of fraud and is going to report it appropriately. Adobe Tricia Mubani is a journalist, novelist, and essayist. Her debut novel, I Did Not Come to You by Chance, which was the story of a Nigerian fraud kickpin, 
won the Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best First Book in Africa in 2010. She tells Tomi Olugbemi what she enjoys the most about writing. When I, I've spat out everything on paper, I've thrown out all my ideas, all my thoughts, all my everything, and then I begin to polish it, carve it, shape it. That's the most enjoyable part for me. That's the part I do with the most relish. When everything is out on paper in rough form, rough, very rough form, and then I begin to polish, edit, craft, carve, that's what I find most enjoyable about the writing process. As you know, we're currently living in a very interesting time. We're going through a global pandemic. Um, how would you say the pandemic has impacted you personally and how has it impacted your writing? Um, well, to be honest, I tried as much as possible to not let it impact me in any negative way. I mean, I, I, I mean it's so sad that people have lost their lives, people have fallen ill, people have lost their means of livelihood. Apart from those really negative and really um, unfortunate events, sad, I've, you know, I've kind of enjoyed, I wouldn't use the word enjoyed, I've tried to make the best of the time on my own, you know, spending more time um, indoors and less time outdoors. So I've kind of enjoyed the retreat. I turned, I turned it into some sort of retreat. I wouldn't say it necessarily impacted my writing because as a journalist, I do write, I mean, I write all the time whether I'm, um, whether I, as a journalist, I, I know how to write, whether I'm on the move, whether I'm in a, in a quiet place. So it uh, hasn't made a major difference to my writing routine because I, I know how to write on the go when life is busy and I know how to write when nothing is going on. So I wouldn't necessarily say it impacted my writing. Okay, but has it inspired your writing? So are you inspired to write something like a pandemic-related novel or something? Has it inspired your writing in any way? I haven't written anything pandemic-inspired, pandemic-related. Who knows? I mean, I could write it tomorrow. I could write it 10 years' time. I mean, I was, I was saying to a friend today that the lockdown is going to be a reference point for decades to come, the same way we say during the war during the First World War, during the Biafran War, or this happened during, you know, that sort of thing, during the colonial years. People are going to say this happened during the lockdown, during the lockdown. So it's going to be a major reference point in world history anyway. And I'm sure dozens of books will come out, you know, that are based on this period. I could write one. I haven't done so now. <laughs> but who knows? I could do so tomorrow or, as I said, 10 years' time. The lockdown is a period that is embedded in our history, Nothing is going to change that, and I'm sure it's going to birth scores of ideas now and in the future. Okay, um, I do not want to put you on the spot, but I'm kind of going to do that. So you're a journalist, essayist, and a novelist. Um, if you had to pick one and absolutely one to do for the rest of your life, what would you pick? I mean, it's difficult to choose, as you said, but I know I enjoy telling other people's stories. I love having to go uh, encounter an issue I want to bring to the limelight or meet someone whose story I want to tell. I've discovered over time, if you had asked me this question a few years ago, I may not have had a concrete answer for you, but I know that today, again, it might change tomorrow, but as we speak, I know that I enjoy telling people's stories. So that kind of falls into the journalism realm. Yeah, so I love when I've told somebody's doing something great and I've written about it. Or there's a situation that is going on I want to bring to the world's attention and I go and write about it. So that falls into under the journalism canopy. 
So for now, that is the aspect of my writing I find, in which I find the most satisfaction. Your first novel, I Do Not Come to You by Chance, um, explored like the world of the of internet scam, of the Nigerian email scam. And it was very relevant in that period. And since that time, it has kind of developed into a more sophisticated and technical process. Um, why, why do you think it's still happening? Why do you think there are still so many young people going into internet fraud? Mm -hmm. I mean, asking why 419 scamming is still going on, it's almost like asking why, why are there still armed robbers? Why are there still, um, you know, women stealing other women's husbands? Why are there, you know, these are things, vices, or, well, the one of stealing husbands, I don't know if it's classified as a vice because it's not it's as a crime, but, you know, people do think that uh, they commit crimes or do things that are not accepted by, you know, not uh, accepted in terms of societal norms. That has been going on for ages. So the conditions that led to people scamming in the 90s, in the 2000s, are still with us today, just like armed robbery. So we still have people who have the inclination. We still have people who find the opportunities. We still have people who have the know-how or the boldness, whatever it takes to do, commit this crime. Those kinds of people exist. The conditions exist. And, you know, it's just like, as I said, armed robbery. Fewer people, I mean, the, the, there are people going out into the streets, going to people's homes with guns, attacking people, seizing their property. But these 419 scammers are going online, sitting in their pajamas on their bed with their laptops and their phones and swiping millions of dollars, in many cases, from people's bank accounts and in all the other sophisticated ways to do these things. So we're, we're in an increasingly digitalized world, there's more technology, and so it gives them more opportunity to do these things. Young men these days don't have to go with a gun to steal, but there are people who can sit in their home using technology and steal money from people around the world. So I just think it's about the inclination, the opportunity, and the fact that crime is with us anyway. They're crime, they're, they're crime to commit and they're criminals who are willing to commit crime. And that's it on this episode of Now. I am Juliet Obata.